Lord in a week. Okay, there we go. One of, one of the things that I've enjoyed um, in tag teaming with Mark on this um, is that because of the type of the way I learn best is that I have to keep on going back and I have to keep on getting the bigger picture of things to see how. Because as, as Mark and I have divided up uh, this letter of First Peter, that no passage can be taken just in isolation. It has to be viewed within the full context of everything we've looked at. And yet at the same time, there is God just gives us application in each little portion of His Word. Uh, it's just so rich from that perspective. And so, periodically, I like, to, I like to go back and review just for myself. And so hopefully that will be of, of help to you as well. But um, as I go through this, is that this letter of First Peter that we, we've begun now back in January. So we are up to verse 18. So we're moving along uh, very well in this, uh, this letter of First Peter. It, it is addressed to Christians, who, as we know in the opening verses, that have been scattered over a very wide area. Now, these Christians, these believers, they share in common faith. But yet they also share in common problems. And so that is the commonality of this, is that they share faith, but they also share common uh, problems. And their basic problem as we've gone through this is, that to, is to live for God in the midst of a society that in this context is ignorant of the true God. Okay, Now, we could say the same thing applies today, couldn't we? Again, <laughs> the problem is, is, to, is to live for God because this is this calling that we'll see and especially off of some of the key points that will lead us into a, a, a question number one there that Mark touched on over the couple of weeks, is living for God in amid a society that is ignorant of the true God. Because they, we, are believers, we're misunderstood. We're misunderstood, and at times could be subject to whatever, blank. In this case, to these believers here, they were subject to cruel treatment. You can complete it for the application for you. Now, Peter's purpose in writing this is to help these believers as they go back and to see that their, their circumstances, their temporary sufferings, that they would view these within the sphere of the full light of the coming eternal glory. In other words, their current temporary circumstance, their temporal sufferings, needed to be viewed within the full light of the coming eternal glory. The foundational verses that we've looked at, all of these first, actually the first ones, first 17, lay that foundation out for us. Now, he reminds his readers, as he reminds you and I, that amid all circumstances, as I've gleaned from these first few chapters, that the sovereign God, the only sovereign God, the sovereign God will keep them, it will keep us, and enable them to have faith to experience true joy. Now, Jesus Christ, as we're starting to unpack now in some of these passages that will go forward, it, we see He really sets this pattern for us to follow. Patient suffering came out. Glorious future destiny being focused on. And most importantly, 
a key word in the first few chapters, living hope. Living hope. So, by way of quick review, is that an objective as I go forward with this, is that in the passages that I, I will be focusing on, the wonder of redemption, is that how can we, how can we fully grasp the significance, the weight of redemption? And I believe that through that, by recognizing that we have been redeemed, all of grace, a gift to unworthy sinners, to fix our hope on God. And so today and next week, we're going to unpack to a greater degree an understanding of redemption, the significance of redemption. Now, by way of review, again, tying this together, where are we and where have we covered Peter's life and background, we spent a few weeks just getting information about the author. We spent the first few weeks looking at the election, our election into grace. And now we're camped in this section called the anchoring of this greatness of salvation of, to our past. And there's remembrance to those readers. From chapter 1, verse 3, all the way to chapter 2, verse 10. And then it becomes more doctrinal at the beginning, and then it now it starts to move to more practical part of it. And that's what we'll begin to see as we start to hit in verses, actually in chapter 2. Four. Now I wanted to drill down a little bit more into this section about this anchoring of the great salvation. Because over the weeks that Mark and I have been looking at it, is that we've talked about these privileges and responsibilities that we have of salvation. The praise of God for salvation in verses 3 to 9, and take that, if you went back and you read that, you would certainly see the significance of we the privileges that we have in the salvation, but also our call to praise God for that. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The prophecy of salvation in verses 10 to 12, and the significance of what the prophets were looking forward to, as well as the angels that were in awe looking at. And then now in verses 13 to 21, where Mark opened up in verses 13 through 17, and then I will continue with verses 21, is this lifestyle. It is this response, was what Mark used. The response to salvation. Our response to salvation. And it is a life of hope and holiness. Chapter 1, verses 13 to 16. And then today, this reverence before God. It ended in 17 with this call to fear God in worship. And then that carries forward into the verses on redemption. Well, let's, let's take a look at this. Go back here. Because we have received this great salvation, question one, what is to be our response? What is to be our response? In the verses that we started looking at, and I, I highlighted it here, I've taken the verses in my outline form, and in the first few verses that Mark had touched on a couple weeks ago, and then what I will continue with here, there is this. What should be our response? What would, what would be some of the responses that you came up with? Um, when it's, uh, okay. Okay, we're going to come. I want to hold that because that's a really important thought. It, the first things that come up that we see in the opening verses in here is, first of all, Mark touched on this, this therefore. And we know that therefore is to go looking backwards, right? So you go back to the first 12 verses of this, taking all that in as I'm reading, therefore. What is our response? Is the first thing call it is, is our response to ourselves is to fixing our hope in God. In the opening verses in verse 13. What's another one? Just looking down the verses. Okay? Right. We, we see this in here. As obedient children, do not be conformed 
But like the Holy One called, we're to be holy. Okay, so there is this, this conduct aspect that we see. A third one that we, we look at in the church is this response is to honor and to fear God. If you address the Father, the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth. trembling at the end? It's a great question. Because the, I believe that there, there's a reason that Peter has used the word fear here. Rather than just respect or just honor, just simple honor. Again, based on, there's a significance. Because I think the significance, Carl, is that I cannot separate myself that as I've looked at these opening passages going all the way back to what we had heard over here with Phyllis, that there is this girding, that these are Old Testament words that just jump out. Fear is one of those. Then I'm going to, we're going to take it in our study. We're going to go right back to that verse where there, there is a fear, a holy, trembling fear of God in His presence. Why? Because He is God. And in judgment. Absolutely. Okay? And so at the same time is that I like that. <laughs> Um, in a, you know, it was sort of like I had this fear of my father <laughs> growing up. It was the same dad, right? <clears throat> in that what it did is, is that there was a deep love that he had for me, but yet there was also a fear of, you know, please dad, don't, be based on, yeah, and we're going to take it within the context of this because I like this, it's honoring and fearing. It is an awe. In fact, we're going to see in a passage where I believe that it, it teaches them that it should not be a fear as believers, a fear of this. Because of the opening passage that lays such a strong doctrinal foundation of faith through Christ alone, not of works, that we can honor God. But hold that, Carl, because I think, and and part of that fear, again, is how God uses this, is in the the original, what we see it back in in the Old Testament, for Israel, a disobedient nation. They weren't listening. In fact, we see that God's wrath poured out, even amid amid Israel, time after time after time. Think twice. (laughs) Yeah. All right, so we're going to build on that. So we'll come back to it because I can't help but go back as we start to see it because as we go forward to the fourth response of this, which is redemption and knowing redemption. So as I, we looked at this overview of 13 to 21, our responses to so great a salvation is hope, holiness, fear, which is honoring, and then knowing redemption. I love this first word that Peter uses at the beginning of verse 18, is knowing. We're going to talk about that. It is knowing redemption, and this knowing is is simply the full light of redemption and recognition of that. What does redemption mean to you? Do you know redemption? Even from an intimacy standpoint, there's the significance of that word. So we'll unpack that. As well. Because I, what, what we cannot, 
I'm gonna, we're going to draw parallels. This is going to be our next little venture in this thing. We're going to stop and we're going to go back to the Old Testament because the fear is that fear. In the New Testament, it's like how do you reconcile that with Hebrews you know, 4.16 where you're therefore come boldly, boldly to the throne of grace. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I appreciate that so much. And the some of the things that we're going to bridge to this because you do have to go, we have to go back and understand why Peter is using all of these parallels to that. At the same time, as when you see when he uses verbs, verses says, "If you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear." This fear is, again, if it is a worship, it manifests itself in holiness. There's an outflow of that. And rather than, it is fear of trembling as opposed to in this worship. And I really believe that that same theme of worship is what carries over into the, this why it's knowing our redemption. And I'm going to give you one just little, little significant illustration of that. In, in redemption, okay, it's a ransom that's paid. In, in other words, and I, here's my, my poor illustration. It's like, if I'm, at least if, I, if Christ redeems you, and He says, well, you know what? He redeems you for this. Is our response to say, that's all? You know, I mean, I, come on. I'm, I'm worth more than that. So often, in these, all of these key foundational truths we're saying here, what Peter is saying is, is that do you know? Do you know what it cost him? Because when you know, now I worship. It's, it's, a, it's a true outflow. That's where this goes. Is this part of the unitation? Sovereign God. It, it, he, he, he is that's right that, that last, he is this perfect example he is writing to these believers because God will keep them and enable them amid suffering that is all for God's greater purpose of all suffering to keep them and enable them by faith to have joy and to experience joy remember that one challenging question I threw out a few weeks ago you know how do you how do you how do you share joy with someone that is suffering when you know when you feel sorry for them? Should you? When they should be rejoicing? It's a challenging situation. It's it, this is a, they want to change it, and this is what we've been trying to hit on. It's transformational in how we see this. The Holy Spirit, by design, has laid this strong foundational passages because what follows in verses twenty after twenty five in chapter two and on to the rest of the book. It's the conduct. It's the behavior. It's the outflow. Right. And that's why everything in, in these passages, I mean, I even drew this out here, because I can, I, as you know, I like to map out these passages. I keep connecting these things, and it keeps taking me back. It begins with hope, and it ends with hope again in verse 21. You see, and I, now I can take that back to verse 4, the living hope. There it is. You keep drawing your dots. It keeps connecting this because this is all part of this salvation and our response 
to that. Okay, let's open our Bibles so we can start at start. <laughs> this is just a little introduction. Chapter 1 Peter, chapter 1, verses 18 to 21. 1 Peter, chapter 1, verses 8. Let's read it together. Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life, inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood, as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times, for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and your hope. Amen. Well, this week is, I hope to, we're just going to start for the first part of this verse, and then we'll conclude it next week as we go through this. You know, when I was, a, I was thinking, uh, in, when I was studying this passage, I, was, I had a flashback when I was a Cub Scout. That was a couple of years ago. But I was, when I was a Cub Scout, I experienced for the very first time in my life is that I created something. I built something from scratch. Uh, you know, because it's like it was the first organized, you know, group thing. And any Cub Scouts out there? Anybody remember? Okay, well, in my little uh, troop that I was in, the little, is that my mom housed the den, my mother, I remember, and the first project that we made with my dad and was is that we made a little boat. Do you guys remember, the, did you guys make the boats? Well, we took, it was not a very complicated boat, but it was a boat that consisted of, very simply, it was like a flat piece of, one by six or something, you know. And then we kind of just cut a little point in the front. We drilled a little hole, and we put a little mast in and put a little flag on it. Does that sound familiar to any Cub Scouts out there similar? All right. Mine was red. Don't ask me. I still have this in my head. It was, it was like Cheryl's shirt there. It was a beautiful red boat. Well, as I went through this, I, re- I came across and I studied this little story about a boat that I wanted to share with you. It's kind of interesting. This, this little boy, Tommy, this little boy, Tommy, he had carried his brand new boat that he had constructed himself to the edge of a river. And he carefully placed this boat in the water and slowly let out a string. So he attached it. I remember doing that with my little boat as well. Now, how smoothly that boat just sailed along, and it just was awesome. However, suddenly the wind started to pick up. A little bit as the boat got further out, you could just see the how the water started to get a little bit uh, rough at that point. And sure enough, the little boy Tommy tried to pull in the boat, and his little piece of string it snapped. And you can just picture what happened the next: is that this little teeny boat was sailing very nicely away from him. And so Tommy is frantically running along the shore, the shore there, to try to see if he could find a place where the the boat might come ashore, uh, unfortunately, had no success. In fact, the boat had raced way downstream and had no chance of trying to ever rescue that. Well, he had searched for hours, went down, kept walking, and still couldn't find it. So he went home, and he was pretty upset and sad about that. Well, on his way home, this was from school about a week later, he always goes by the little Ben Franklin store, and he noticed that in, in the window of the Ben Franklin, he always checked out the toys, is that he saw 
a little red boat. He goes, wow. He says, that looks like my boat. And so sure enough, he went in, and he was able to get around, and he picked up the boat. It was his boat. Because he knew it, because on the bottom he had a little knot in the piece of wood that he constructed it out of. And he remembered in the mast that we had a little crooked, you know, and he scratched it because he didn't see in it very good. He said, that's my boat. So he went up to the storekeeper and he said, sir, he says, that's my boat in the window. And said, excuse me? He said, that's my boat. I'm my boat in the window. And he says, it's my boat because I made it and I can show you on these things in here. And the man said, he says, I don't know what you're talking about. Someone else brought that boat in several days ago, and it's my boat. He said, no, that's my boat. He says, if you want that boat, he says, it's going to cost you a dollar. little boy said, oh my goodness. <laughs> Didn't have any money on him. So he went home, and he went through his little piggy bank, started shaking out, came up with all that he had, exactly a dollar, went down, back to the storekeeper, and he put down the dollar and bought his boat. Now, when he put down the money for the boat, he hugged his boat and he said to himself, Now you're twice mine. Now you're twice mine. First, I made you, and now I bought you. This is what Peter's telling us about. Peter is telling us about God, that God had made you, and he bought you. Amen. He redeemed you. He bought you back for a price. So, that's what we want to unpack. We want to unpack the significance of that little simple story as we go forward with this. But I wanted to give you a chance to get some feedback to me on question number four. As great a work as creation is, is what the question says, right? Greater is the work of redemption. Your thoughts on that? What did your group say at your table? Okay. Other thoughts? Bruce? Okay. Others? Anybody else? George? Well, form creation probably was a great word, but uh, problems you have yeah. going across the meat. The, uh, the nature of that question really just came from this, this uh, quote that uh, Watson wrote. Great was the work of creation, but greater the work of redemption it costs more to redeem us than to make us. In the one there was but the speaking of the word. In the other there was the shedding of the blood. I don't. Th- I think, John, you're exactly right. I think one is that all of God's, that God has done is, is great. They're all great. But yet, one of the things of this, from the standpoint, again, is this aspect of, is that what is giving me the means <laughs> to everything? What is giving me the means to the salvation? That's why when I was looking at this, is that it's sort of like even looking at these two words together. And so when you look at salvation, the significance of is it really being sort of this whole saving work completely? And actually, as I thought through that, which actually is that it's there's really three parts of that, which is the work of the Father, the work of the Son, and the work of the Holy Spirit. I mean, whether that's um, the work of the Father, which is election, predestination, adoption, the work of Jesus Christ, which is this substitutionary atonement, redemption through Christ, or the work of the Holy Spirit, which is the convicting ministry, the indwelling, the baptism, the, 
you know, this sealing. So salvation is this whole saving work, and yet redemption is just a specific part of that. It is the specific price that was involved, the means by which salvation is achieved. They're all great work. There was no right or wrong answer. I just wanted to get you thinking of that because I, it is a price. The passages that I gave you this, and, and I'm going to read the one in Psalm 8. And, and again, not to in any way diminish the power of God, the sovereignty of God, or God as the Creator. But in, in Psalm uh, 8.3, it goes, like, it goes like this. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him? Is that when I look at that passage and I think of what Watson was trying to get at in his, his comment here, from the standpoint of looking at the God just it's creation at the fingertips, all of creation at the fingertips of God. Do you see that? In other words, it's by the spoken word. To what you said, Gabe, to the cost. Price. Christ. Blood. His son, those are the things that we want to kind of bring again to a, a greater focus on this. So, when we look at this, Matthew the twenty twenty eight, he came to give his life a ransom. He came to die. He came to give his blood and his body. <laughs> okay, First Peter one. As I, went, as I keep going back to this, in this now I'll start to go back to verses 13 and 19. We're going to camp on this for a little while. okay? And we're just going to get as far as we can get today, and we'll just go back at it again. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 and 19, there are very clearly parallels that we see to Israel during the Exodus. I believe it is important for us to understand the meaning behind those. It helps us to, I think, to appreciate why Peter is using that within this passage. Okay, so we're going to try to get the concepts that we see, and I'm going to, I'm going to help you have you guide me through these. We're just going to fill these in. We're going to look at these passages. I'll, some of these, we'll just look at a couple of them to identify what we can fill in into these Old Testament parallels. What would be a New Testament application to that, and then all other parallels that I'm going to use my little dotted connecting ones to the early parts of First Peter again for the purpose. So let's start first of all looking at going back to verse 13. Phyllis, you, you, you started this first one with us already. And where you, you said it in one of your comments before, which was girding. the girding. The girding the, lo- the loins in verse 13 um, as the concept. Okay, let's just let's fill in the let's fill in the five concepts first, and then we'll go back and we'll we'll go underneath those. Okay, in verse eighteen, what is the Old Testament parallel? What is the key thing we're seeing in there? In verse fourteen, the concept, obedience. Right? There's two two things we see there. One, it's like to Israel, he's saying obedience is one. Second one is uh, forsaking the ignorance of the past. This is what it really talks about. So the the Again, the concepts of girding the loins, obedience, is, is in verse 14. In verse 15, what is the concept? Holiness. It's a call to holiness in verse 15. It is a call to holiness in verse 15. Verse 17, we talked about that just recently. Fear. Fear 
And it's fear specifically in the concept, as we're going to look at in the Old Testament, to those in the fear during the exile. Bless you. And then finally, in verses 18 and following, it is redemption. So these five concepts is that we want to take a look at. We want to pause in this to try to understand why. Give me an answer, your thoughts. Why so much Old Testament imagery in his writing? What are your thoughts? Okay. It's what they know. You're right. I totally agree. It's what they know. You have both, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say to the Jews that were there, that's what they knew. Remember, you've got both, right? You've got Jews and Gentile believers that are here. And I, I believe that part of this, even as in, in back in 14 when he talks about the ignorance, a lot of that is focusing on those Gentiles because they didn't even know that. They didn't understand the law. They had nothing. And so it, it applies to both in this, but yet it is this base. So is it, why do we have it? It's primarily for this better understanding conceptually to give full meaning. So even to those Gentiles, you and I, how do you understand the significance of the coming of the Messiah? What did those prophets do? They went back and they studied their own writings. I I love the study of Exodus because it lays out literally the whole this whole tabernacle, this whole plan that we're seeing, and as you look at this, it takes us all the way back to that. So let's go through now, and now we're going to go, we went horizontal on the concepts, and now we're going to go vertical on the Old Testament parallel. Okay? So, as I look at these, there is a bunch of reference to one chapter, which is chapter 12 of Exodus, primarily. So let's go back to Exodus chapter 12, if we could. Exodus chapter 12, verses one We'll start with 1 to 14. Does someone like to read that? Because it's an important background verse right there. Please. Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 to 14. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, shall be according to the house of his father, our household. Household is to let him and his neighbor house take it according to each man. The lamb shall be without blemish. They take it from the sheep or from the goat. Now you shall keep it by light. They shall take sorcos on the where they uh, then they shall eat the flesh on that night, roasted in fire with unleavened bread, and with not eat it raw, nor boil it with butter, but roast it in fire. Head with its leg, let none of it remain. Thus you shall eat it out on your staff in your hand. Passover. I will pass through on that night, and will strike all the firstborn, man and beast, all the gods of Egypt. I will execute I and the Lord. Now the blood shall be our. They shall be keeping as Thank you. Just, uh, just a question to yourself. So, if you were to fast forward that, just even based on that last commandment, that you were to keep this continuing. So, let's just say to, to Peter's readers, both Jews and Gentiles, they would have, obviously recognition or knowledge that there's still a practicing Passover that's occurring, right? On a regular basis to those Jews. Even to the... So a Gentile would still know it, right? Maybe not understand it, but they would say, there's the Jews again next door, you know, they're doing their little Passover. So just kind of keep that as you think through this. Um, Now, 
just help me out here. Just again, uh, you know me, I like the context in here. So how did how did the how did they they get there? These how did Israel get there? Do you remember? Just the background. How did Israel get to Egypt? We're just going to give about five bullet points. Yeah, real quick. This is, okay, they 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 moved they moved his people to Egypt through Joseph, right? Okay. Now we know in Exodus chapter one verse seven what happened to the people. They greatly they greatly multiplied. In fact, they it, they became exceedingly mighty, is what it said in verse seven of chapter one. And then from verses eight to ten, how did the king respond to that? Pharaoh, not good. Not good. In fact, it says the king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph and said to his people, Behold, the people of the sons of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come, let us deal wisely with them, or else they will multiply in an event of war. They will join themselves to those who hate us and fight against us. 400 years passed. God's time for his people had come. And so what you read there was the exodus of the sons of Israel that takes place on that very night Passover. That's the story of Exodus 12. You go backwards. So, when you look at the significance, let's help understand this thing. Why this parallel? We said the girding. In verse 12, it talked about the girding. So the Old Testament loins to be girded while eating the Passover. A couple weeks ago, Mark talked about this thing. Again, you go ahead, Phyllis. You mentioned it before. That that was for what purpose? The girding. Yeah, it was a, it was a readiness. It was said yeah. to be ready in haste. It was there. It was a pulling up. It was a pulling in a belt. It was for war. They, you know, I little Alec had yeah. Alec, little Alec needed uh, to gird up his loins the other day. He's got a little pair of pants. They were down, and he's just he couldn't. Right here. You got to pull up. I girded it up. I got my belt. I got this up today. So here is the girding of the loins. And so this to be while eating the Passover. What is an application? We can say this is that you said this, and exactly the word here is to be alert. It is a pulling in all the loose ends. Romans twelve two. What does it say? Do not be conformed to the world. It is a pulling in of loose ends. Our thinking, our focus of future grace. All be ready. Be on the alert. Pull it in. Now the parallels in chapter 1 of 1 Peter, which is interesting, is that once again we see this reference to Jesus the Lamb where it talks about the sprinkling of the blood, how it takes it right back to the Passover. Again, drawing a dotted line going this way. Okay, let's go to obedience. You know, I was just going to say the oil in their lamps. Make sure right things, thinking about the right things I am so I am I'm so old I cannot even remember it. Okay. The obedience. The obedience in chapter twelve, verse one, it starts off by saying is that this Moses is uh, Going back, it was commanded, he was commanding them when he said this, Israel to be obedient and observing the Passover and leaving Egypt. The way that that starts off, it is the simple commands, and those commands continue all the way to chapter 14, verse 31. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the, in the, in the land of Egypt, saying, 
And then it just, the saying continues for two and a half chapters. Israel is to be obedient in observing the Passover and leaving Egypt. Obedience, forsaking the ignorance of the past. New Testament application, be obedient. John 14, um, 15, excuse me, chapter 14, can't read it from the side here. Goes, it goes like this. If you love me, keep my commandments. Verse 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. It is this obedience. That's the New Testament application. Be obedient in faith as a true child of God. The other, other parallel in my connecting the dot, it talks about obedience in verse 2, doesn't it? Of, of First Peter. The call to holiness. It is quoted. This originates in going all the way back to Leviticus chapter 11, verse 44. Israel is to be holy in light of the fact that their holy God brought them from Egypt. I'll read this to you. Leviticus 11, 44. For I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore consecrate yourselves... And you shall be holy, for I am holy. Neither shall you defile yourselves with any creeping thing that creeps on the earth. It's interesting is that in the whole Leviticus chapter, which is hard to get through because it's a bunch of rules, isn't it? It's a bunch of the how-tos and what you can't do. But it's down to the minutia of things of which it is simple. Israel, you are to be holy in light of the fact that God brought them and God is attentive to details. Even these small little things. Israel, you are to be holy in light of the fact that their holy God brought them from Egypt. In the New Testament application, we are to be holy in all that our behavior because we are associated with the holy God. Matthew 5, 48. But you, could, you could quote the, the passage that Mark just did a couple weeks ago back to 1 Peter too. These, there's a place where these, are, where these are coming where it says, Be holy, for I am holy. In verse 16, be holy in all our behavior because we are associated with the Holy God. And then the other parallel that we see is that the holiness there is called by a triune God as an elect people for His possession. God has called us to His own. We are His. He owns us for His possession. All to be holy. The fear during exile. Exodus 20.20 20. Paul, this is a, a good part of that passage that we were kind of just talking about briefly early. Exodus 20.20. 20. I'm going to go back and I'm going to read for extra credit verses 18. Now all the people witnessed the thunderings and the lightnings flashing, the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. So here they are. They're really, it is this, this is following, by the way, the Ten Commandments. Okay? In chapter 20. And all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood far, far off. Then they said to Moses, You speak with us, and we will hear, but let not God speak with us, lest we die. And Moses said to the people, Do not fear. Do not fear, for God has come to test you and that his fear may be before you, so that you may not sin. God calls us to, to holiness, our fear and worship to him. It is a reverent 
awe is what it is of the thunderings of this. And Moses is saying, don't. Don't fear this way. It's fear in awe, in adoration, because so that you may not sin. So the people stood afar off, but Moses drew near the thick darkness where God was. It is the presence of God. So, our New Testament application, we are to honor God and conduct ourselves, and here they are, reverence, worship, and respect. We are to honor God, conduct ourselves in reverence, worship, and respect of God. Next week I'll have this printed out for you. have it, so if you can't read that blue, I apologize for that. It will always look better on my computer than it does up on the screen. Let me read those two passages in Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, this is the, the heavenly kingdom, the, the new heavens, it says, let us, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably, here it is, with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. It is this awe and reverence that we see in Hebrews there. Do this. And in here, a picture I have of this, it is this, this new Jerusalem. It's kind of like you're looking at it and going, whoa, praise God. It is this that way. It's godly fear. And I like it when the, the author of that connects those words. The Holy Spirit connects godly with fear. Because it is different. You know, it's like shoes off. That godly fear would be cowering. Adam and Eve, after they had sinned, they saw God, you know, they heard God walking in the garden and they jumped into the ball. I mean, you know, we, we have that capability and we don't have to go hide from Him. And right, that's just the picture that keeps going, cowering away from it. I'm scared. Yeah. Of that's why the honest, I mean, I'm, how they stand before He. I've never. St- I mean, I go to the zoo and I'm free. Oh, that you're you can because of Christ, because of what He done. That's why it's. But we couldn't do a mountain and not see a mountain and go, wow. If we can go mountain and be awed, why wouldn't we be? Awed? You have the fear, which is the trembling, cowering fear, and then with the knowledge, you're able to go to the ultimate respect to the nth degree. I think the knowledge is transition between the two. Okay. Well, we're going to talk. Uh, we'll get there because we're going to. I'm going to go back. I, I have to go back because in these pa- in this passages where he's talking about the. In, we'll get there. I'm sure of it soon. The futility of the mind, I believe, is my connecting the dot back to verse 14, where it talks about the ignorance. In lot of the lust, I mean, you know, the, the the lust, lusting itself, and where it is, it's the futility. As we look at the passages, is speaking of our condition prior to redemption, and so Paul, Peter doesn't tell us why Paul does. We'll look at some passages where Paul kind of unpacks it to say, "You want to know what futility of mind looks like, and why this is why." So we'll look at a few of those things soon. <laughs> Knowledge is a true yeah. Yeah. Yeah, In fact, there, there's so, so much. Um, look at this old versus the new, and then passages that talk about the new man. I mean, so we're, we're, we're going to go on that too because I think it's, it's so clear um, to, to really the, the significance of those words. Now, uh, time's sake, I'm run out of time, and I'm not even a 
quarter of the way through of this, but that's that's okay. Let me just we'll we'll pick up here, but I'm going to give you just a glimpse of where it is because actually this is where I'm starting. We just went back. We've still been reviewing, right? But yet I want you to see though, because like in verses 18 and 19. What you see is now the focus is going to be on that Passover, going back to Exodus 12 again, talking specifically about, because it says right in there, about the unblemished and spotless. It is a direct connection to Jesus Christ, and this is Passover. So it is about this redemption. We're going to look at, in further detail, the application of that. And then, again, connect your dot back to chapter 2. Chapter 1, verse 2, again, the sprinkling with blood goes pointed to Christ. So this is what we're going to cover yet, still, with some very interesting contrasts in here that really tie this together to give us, again, this greater appreciation for really what redemption is. Yeah, it's Romans 6, 6, 17, and 18. So Romans 6, 6, 17, 18. So I'll pick this up next week because we're uh, out of time, but that's okay. Um, any just final thoughts on this? Wow. Amen. I, you know, I, I haven't even... I, I've got... There's so many tangents that I've kind of gone through on this, but yet it helps me in my mind, and I would pray that it would do for you as well, is that we want to come in with some... <laughs> you got something moving here which uh, they believe is this is a very key doctrinal foundational thing prior to the live out verses that follow in chapter 2. So therefore, he begins it with hope in chapter 1 in the opening passages, and he's going to conclude it with the hope that we have in God through Jesus Christ. This redemption, which is specific, is the means to the fullness of our salvation that we have in Christ. Cheryl, would you be so kind as to close us in prayer? I'd ask you, thank you. Amen.